welcome back to another episode of Welded Path. In Psalm 31, David's plagued by betrayal, yet somehow he still manages to give God the glory in it. First, how was your week? Uh, Thanksgiving is behind us, and as we look forward to the Christmas season, my favorite season, uh, seasons are how we mark our time here on earth. And as I, in reading the psalm this week, I, as I look back at the seasons in my life, I do have to say that I'm, I'm kind of preferring the one that I'm in now. But I have to remember that I wouldn't be the same without the seasons behind me. I wouldn't have grown in the Lord, and He wouldn't have been able to grow my faith in Him without the seasons of my past. As we continue through the Psalms, we see David in many seasons. Sometimes he's up, sometimes he's down. One thing, though, that stays consistent is his desire to talk to God about wherever he's at. And as I look, I think sometimes the one detriment to the season that I find myself in is that I feel like I have less reasons to call on him in need, yet I need his proximity. I need his word. I need him every hour. And while my needs have become much less physical needs, my spiritual needs continue to grow as he draws me closer and closer to him. I don't think I'm alone when I say that with age and the maturity that God fosters in us, we constantly feel the need to know him more and to know more of him. And here, this is really where our studies together have been so beneficial for me. And this psalm is no exception. Psalm 31, beginning in verse 1, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they've laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. 
They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servants. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. And let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Once again, in this psalm, David writes here during the time of rebellion in his kingdom when his own son has turned against him and pursues him. His trusted friend and advisor, Ahithophel, has joined the cause of the enemy. Absalom had manipulated the entire kingdom and turned them against David so that he had very few allies left. David fled his own city to escape the evil of his son. And what we learn in this psalm is that people can disappoint we have we have great expectations from those around us that those around us will treat others fairly uh, that they'll abide by the laws of the land and entire towns in this country still leave their doors unlocked at night because of the trust they put in their community but then the outsider steps in and sometimes they're merely an outsider by name because they can still be one of the community. They've made themselves an outsider by acting outside of the community trust. And all of a sudden, the unlocked door becomes an invitation. Well, I'll I'll just go in and take one thing I know they have that I don't have. And so the trust of the unlocked door is broken and the injured party's been wrong because of their faith in the basic decency of humanity. But maybe we're talking a little too much in the hypothetical. Let's bring it a little closer to home and maybe a little less sinister. 
We have lines and signage on our public roadways indicating the flow of traffic, proper exit routes, and the classic lane ends merge right. Yet accidents, traffic jams, and delays are caused because people try to jockey for the next car length ahead of someone else, merging at the last minute. A basic trust that they would follow the decency of traffic rules and signage has been broken. And this is the world we live in, even in those small little things. Again, it gets bigger. We take our kids to schools, to daycares, and even churches, trusting that societal norms will keep the abnormalities of deviance away from our kids. But evil still transpires across the nation. In verse 4 and 6, David tells of the evil that was done toward him, the evil that surrounds him as a result of his trust being shattered. He should have been able to trust family. He should have been able to continually trust his closest advisor and friend. And you should have been able to trust that friend. You should have been able to trust a fellow church member. You should have been able to trust your spouse. David acknowledges that when others fail, God does not. Where are we putting our trust? In whom are we relying for strength? Everywhere we turn for hope, for strength, can fail, but for one place that we can turn. And and, am I saying that everyone will fail us? Well, no. I'm saying that at some point when we're hurting, our spouse is going to say the wrong thing. Our friends aren't going to understand because they can't be our unshakable strength. But God will be our unshakable strength. He's the healer of all things. He has every detail of our lives in his hands. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows when we feel like the evil of this world will be the end of us. He knows when we feel low. He knows when we feel like the world is just all wrong. Because he knows it is all wrong. So lean on him. Like David, lean into him. Run to a fortress that will be your solid rock. He alone can finish your fears at the door. He can pull you out of the net of despair, the trap of depression. No one can understand us like God. Who else would we run to? And like David, we should run to him first when evil rises against us, whether it be the people, a situation, or a feeling that we're struggling with. He should be the first one we cry to. And from the protection of his forest, we can then let others in because they'll only be the ones that he allows in. 
And they'll come to us with sound counsel, with uplifting words. And do we commit our entire being, our feelings, our struggles, our anxiety? Do we commit our spirit to him? Because he alone has truth. He'll, he'll lay it out just like it is. But he'll also mend the broken that's caused by the world as only he can. And there in the light of his comfort, his consolation, we can rejoice in his mercy. How good he is to us, to understand us, to understand our fears. And yet in knowing those things, he passes no judgment on us. He simply loves us. He takes us in. He restores our soul. He pulled us out of the trouble. And even if we're still in the land of trouble, yet we've run to him as our fortress, we're protected even there in the trouble. He's seen us when we needed help and he's run to our help. And nothing can change the way that he loves us. The way he loved us in eternity past is the same love he feels for us now and the same love he'll feel for us in eternity to come. He withholds from us the bad we deserve as sinners and gives us mercy and mercy and mercy again. He has set us up in a place of liberty, liberty to call on him, to lean on him, to be captured by him and his mercy in his fortress, safe from the harms around us. Yes, the world is evil. But God is a good father. And we can run to him always for his strength to be, to be flooded with his righteousness. But we have to run to him. In the next section of verses, David says he's been caused pain by these that would do him evil. And while the evil didn't touch him, he still felt the repercussions. He still felt the effects of the evil that sought after him. In this sin-cursed world, we will be touched by the pain, by the consequences of evil actions. And David details how he felt. He cries to God and says, this is how I felt, even though I know it wasn't true. This is why I ran to you, my rock, my strength. Lord, I, I can't rely on the mercy of anyone else. Their mercy is fickle. Their mercy is conditional. But God's mercy is perfect. God's mercy doesn't waver. See, it's not conditional on how we come to him or when we come to him. It's merely that we come to him. And really, it's when we come to him that we see that his mercy has just been over us the, the entire time. Do we look at what's around us and get anxious? Are we troubled by what we see? Does it cause us despair? and grief. It's easy to look at where the world is headed today and begin to worry. 
uh, to, to be extremely concerned. And I know I do. I look at the world and I begin to worry about the world my kids are going to have to live in. And they're both grown already. I worry about the world my grandson and in the future my other grandkids will have to grow up in. And it, it scares me sometimes. And while we don't suffer serious life-altering persecution today, I ask sometimes, well, when will we get there? Are we a couple of generations out? A single generation? And while God can keep those that believe in him, I worry that the world may catch more and more of those that I love as the pull and the confusion that the world offers continues to grow. And so like David, sometimes my eyes are consumed with grief. There have been times where I get so worked up about it that it makes me uneasy. It makes my stomach churn. And maybe as you listen to this, you think to yourself, yeah, I've been there. I'm there every day. And maybe your life is saddened. You worry about what may happen tomorrow. And maybe like David, like me, you think to yourself, well, have I contributed somehow to the way the world is? Or could I have witnessed more? Can I be more effective for the gospel? Well, I'd have to say maybe to the first and yes to the last two. When we're silent in the face of immoral or amoral acts, when we don't stand up and speak for our faith, when we don't ensure that we're constructively vocal in our community, our lack of involvement may be a contributor to the moral attrition of our society. I think when you look at the last 60 years or so, we've so tried to prepare for Christ's return, believing in a falling away before it actually happens, that maybe we have been contributors to some people turning away from godly values. Maybe. Or maybe the world is just evil and sin is powerful. Satan spent a millennia perfecting the temptations we fall into as a society, as individuals. And while Satan cannot even begin to touch the magnitude of God's power and knowledge, he's far beyond us in both of those categories. He's a master at deception, and he can lead humanity into listening to pride rather than truth. As for can we witness more and can we be more effective for the gospel, the answer to that is always yes. When we don't share, is that not an offense to all of our neighbors and friends who don't know Christ? Are we the type of Christian who focuses on the things in our lives that we can't, that everyone knows us, has no desire for what we have because our faith seems to be an quote-unquote I can't kind of faith? What does our testimony look like? When we look at what David was going through, he was saying that everyone was against him because of how faithful he was. Man, if we could have a faith like that, to say, Lord, everyone has left me because of how much I love you. 
My strength failed because I'm a sinner, but your strength has never failed me. And David was low. He felt like everyone had turned against him, and because of Absalom, many had. The nation, in fact, as a majority, had turned with Absalom against him. And we just shake our heads and we have to realize fickle, fickle, fickle. Maybe friends you have no longer want to be your friends since you've come to know Christ. Maybe people you know think you've changed, but not for the better because of how you don't do the things that they do anymore. Maybe they're saying things that aren't true. The words from their lips, the text messages to all of your other friends. Well, don't tell Tom anything anymore. Don't share any of your troubles with him. He'll just try to tell you you need Jesus. I would hope that that would be true. But what if they're all lies? Well, Tom acts like he's changed, like he's got a new lease on life, but I know the real Tom. He'll be back doing what he used to do in no time. He can't keep this up for long. Or what if it's sometimes what can be the most hurtful? It's good to see Tom back in church. I just hope it lasts this time. David's answer was, I just trusted in you, Lord. When others cause us pain, when others talk about us behind our backs, when we can trust no one, when no one shows any mercy, when everyone wants to be harsh and point out all of the bad things about our lives, when they lie about us, when they set us up to fail, my times are in your hands, Lord. In this phrase, David's saying, every season of my life is in your hands, Lord. And we all go through seasons in our lives. But in every season, we're held in his hands. When we need deliverance from enemies, when we need deliverance from evil, he is our God. And we tend to hide our feelings from God, our, our emotions, we feel that it's wrong to get angry with him. We feel that we can't say that we don't understand. We don't tell him when we're hurting. He knows the seasons of our lives. Cry to God in your anger. Why is this happening right now? What happened to all the good things in your plans for me? Now, be careful not to test God, but be honest. In our honesty, maybe he can show the reason for whatever season you're in. You know, call to him in your confusion. God, I, I don't know why this would happen now. What's your time in here? Because I'm just confused. Or God, why would you take this person from me now? God, why is this person not who I thought they were? God, why don't we have kids yet? God, why am I not married yet? He knows our seasons. And we may think that we're in one season, but we're actually in a season of patience, a season of leaning on God. Maybe we're in a season where he's building our faith. God knows the season we're in, even if we don't. And great is his faithfulness when we're hurting. Take it to him. 
He's the answer. In the dark of our hurt, he's the light that breaks through the darkness. It's his face that cuts through and he comes to us for his mercy's sake. In this world, we're going to have pain. In this world, we will be hurt by others. And when we feel the pain of this present world, it is God who can give us mercy and God alone. And it's perfect mercy beyond any of our understanding. Because of that, we can come to him without shame. We may not understand, but there's no shame in our anger, no shame in our confusion. There's no shame in our hurt. And as the world lies to us telling that, hey, our God has failed us, where's the crutch that we like to lean on so often now? Lift your head. He will put lying lips silent. God will have the glory in the situation in every season. And then get ready. Because for every cry of desperation, God has prepared our hearts and our lips for praise. And how good is our God? He's better than anything we deserve. Better than anything we've seen. Look, for all the goodness we've seen him do here on earth, all of the things we've seen him accomplish, all the things he's overcome on our behalf, we have yet to see the fullness of the glory of his power. How many pits of despair has he lifted us out of? How many treasures are laid up for us? No, not not physical treasures, not tangible treasures, but spiritual treasures he rewards us with just so we can throw him back down at his feet? How much good has he worked in your life? Because all that we have is given by him. You know, our families, as much as family can be troubling, and they can be, they were given by God. And it may be that you have a family that doesn't know him, God has given your family to you as a mission field. Thank him for the opportunity. Isn't he good to put you as a witness in their lives? And if your family does know him, isn't he good? Good to give us the sweet fellowship that only comes with Christian brothers and sisters. And our kids, how much he's entrusted us with. What a, what a blessing it is for us to be entrusted as his steward to impart his word to our children. And what about your job? You hate it, you love it, but isn't he good either way to provide for you? Isn't he good to put you right where you're at to be a witness for him? Isn't he good to put you in a position that you... You have a horrible job with a horrible boss doing unsatisfying work, but you can find satisfaction in him and be a witness to those around you. What if we told people every day that hate the job we're in as much as we do, that you're thankful that God has given this job to you? Isn't even that, isn't he good to give us that opportunity? 
Is he not worthy of that specific praise? And if you love your job, what a greater reason to give him the glory. Your house, your neighborhood, your car, whether you have a car that runs 100% all of the time or one that breaks down, does he not continue to provide for us? And can we not run to him every single time one of those things falls apart or fails us? He's our refuge in every season. And he's good in every season. And when it's all falling apart, we can fall into his arms, safe, protected in him. The unsaved, those that have not, haven't believed in him, they, they, don't, they don't have that. They don't have him. They aren't held by him. And, we, and us, we're ever in his presence and ever in his care. His kindness is ever present in our life, overwhelming in its totality. He loved us and he loves us. His goodness is hidden in the secret of knowing him. And because it's only in knowing him that we can be made aware of all of his general and all of his specific blessings. Beneficiaries of every promise he has for us in his word. And David here in, towards the middle end interjects momentarily that he despaired for a fleeting moment because he hadn't called on God yet in a time of trouble. But he then states that as soon as he called out, instant movement on God's part. And we have to be rest assured that God is always moving. While we may not see an immediate visible response to a prayer, God is moving. He's moving in a situation. He's moving in someone's heart. Maybe he's moving in your heart. He's moving in whatever season we're in. David says, so love the Lord, saints. Why wouldn't we love the one who's poured out his love for us? Really love him. Don't just say it. Let's act on our love for him. We show our love for him when we run to him. We show our love when we depend on him the way that he has requested we do. You know, God isn't insulted when we ask him for help. God's not bothered when we ask him for his will in our lives. God's not impatient when we spend hours with him in prayer. He, he doesn't have anywhere else to be. Let go of the doubts that cause you to question and make you think that you don't want to bother him with your situation when what you feel is an evil has popped up in your life. God is not slack concerning his promise to us word. He wants to be there. He wants to be the one we call on. He cares for, he preserves the faithful. He will keep us. He rewards those that come before him boldly. He wants our broken prayers, our prayers of praise. He wants our prayers of anguish. He wants our prayers of worship. 
He wants to know when we feel like we've been wrong. He wants to know when we're frustrated. He wants to know when we feel overwhelmed by his love. He wants to know when we just can't fathom his mercy. He wants to know when we can't comprehend his grace. And I know we think about it. I'm sure we do. Sometimes sitting and trying to fathom how much he loves us, how much he's shown us mercy, how his grace is just ever expanding in our minds. But do we talk to him about it? You know, some of the most earth-shattering prayers I've ever heard Holy Spirit-filled, standing in God's presence, feeling prayers are prayers where the person that's praying is just overwhelmed by the mighty, gracious, merciful love that God has for us. Love Him back. And when we triumph, when our season is bright, when God is moving, be sure to give him the glory. When we're low, when the season is dark and cold, cry to him. Be delivered by him. Rest in his fortress and be strengthened by him. We, we have to let go of our own strength. We were created to rely on him. It was never intended that we be strong enough to do any of this on our own. In him, we have hope. Hope that we can endure in his strength. A sure hope that he's with us in every moment, in every season. And regardless of the evil surrounding us, even when the evil itself doesn't disappear from our situation, when we call on him, we can be hid in him, our fortress, within the situation. David says, he shall strengthen your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. And as we think about it, in light of that truth, how can it be anything but well with our souls? Hey, thanks for walking with me for a little while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.com. Org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.